You can grab your Bible and flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be spending our time together. And, you know, it's the end of the year. Um, We're in the last quarter of the year, and it's the most generous time of the year. This last quarter, these last real two months, especially December, the last month of the year, is when most uh, nonprofits and churches um, get the majority of their annual income. It's kind of whenever they make all the ends meet and kind of hopefully meet the budget at the end of the year. It's when we buy gifts for loved ones and, uh, and family and friends, and we give extra to charity. It's just a generous time of year. And I just have to say, as a church, uh, we've asked a lot of you lately, church. Maybe you've noticed it's been a kind of a packed, full month, and it's only getting uh, busier. Um, we've asked you to give to the Fall Fest candy drive, and you have. We've gotten over 6,000 pieces of candy now, and so, um, but we'll always take more. Uh, but we've asked you to give to the candy drive. We've asked you to give up your Saturday to do a church work day and come and serve. We've asked you to make some soup to bring to potluck to enjoy a fellowship meal together. We've asked you to volunteer for the Fall Fest. And last week I had mentioned on stage that we had had like 30 volunteers and we need like 45 or 50. And by the end of the service that day, we had had 49 people signed up to serve. So praise the Lord. And you've been serving, um, asking you to serve at Fall Fest. That was the lamest clap I have ever heard in my life. But um, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Woo, Fall Fest volunteers. Woo. It's going to be a good time. Now... <laughs> And then, and then on top of that, we have the OCC shoeboxes, and that is some incredible work, sending the love and message of Jesus to kids in need around the world. And, uh, and then Thanksgiving boxes as well, and we're not necessarily asking you to give to that, but um, you're nominating people to get Thanksgiving meals uh, at Thanksgiving week, and, and then we're going to need many of you to like volunteer to go deliver those boxes to families in need. And so uh, then it's end of year giving and you know asking people to give above and beyond at the end of the year, and then you have all the other things unrelated to your church, like we ask a lot of you, but... Unrelated, maybe you're rethinking this whole relationship, right? You're like, you are asking a lot. Um, And then there's all the other things in your personal family and in the other connections you have to different charities or nonprofits or initiatives that everybody's asking for your money at this time of year. And a lot of times it gives us an opportunity as people, especially as Christians, to be generous above and beyond. And I just want to say that you are... Generous. You're a generous church. I'm so thrilled to be a part of this church that you give so generously, abundantly, above and beyond all the time with your time and your energies and your finances. And it is incredible to be a part of this church. And so in this season that generally requires a lot of um, generosity above and beyond, I believe it's important for us to take some time this morning and examine our attitude and our motive uh, towards giving. Uh, it's, it's important that as we are going to be um, generous potentially this, this end of year, uh, that we examine our motives for why are we doing this? Do we have a, a, a right heart, a right attitude? Because if you're not careful, what can happen is this season that begs for so much of your generosity can cause you to become bitter and cynical, and, and we don't want that at all. And so 
in our reading plan this week, we, we read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul introduces this um, offering to go towards the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing his second letter. Last week we saw the first letter, 1 Corinthians. And now he's writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. And in chapter 8, he's asking them to take up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Now, the church in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times. They had, um, one, because they were becoming Christians from a Jewish family, they, they were being um, alienated or ostracized by their family and their employers. Because whenever you're Jewish and then you become a Christian, they saw that as a Jewish apostate. They saw that as you're a traitor to the Jewish faith. And so families would kick you out, um, and then employers would fire you. They didn't want to hire you. And so many Christians had lost their jobs in the first century, the beginning of the early church, especially in Jerusalem. And then that paired with a famine that had swept through Judea caused the Jewish church in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, to be in a lot of need. And so Paul had this idea. How about I reach out to these Gentile churches that I've planted and ask them to take up an offering so that they can send support and relief to this church in Jerusalem? And wouldn't it be awesome if this offering then unified the church? Because there was some still tension and hostility between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And he's like, what a testimony and unifying a movement it would be if the Gentile churches showed their love for the church in Jerusalem, the home base, by sending them relief in their time of need. And so he introduced this idea in chapter 8, and he shares this moving story of the Macedonian churches who have been generous. And, um, but in chapter 9, he gives us some of the best teaching on the reason and motive for Christian generosity. And that's what I want to focus our attention on today. And so I don't want to know, some of you are going to be like, wait, did he read the wrong week? Or you might be saying that I read the wrong week if you're reading with us, because this is next week's reading. So this is a preemptive sermon. Uh, you will read chapter 9 tomorrow if you're in the reading plan. But reading chapter 8, and seeing that whole moving story of the Macedonian churches, man, chapter 9 really has some rich teaching on generosity. And some of you are like, oh, goodness. I picked this week to invite my friend to church. Why in the world are you going to talk about giving? I can't believe you would do this. And, and, and here's, here's the thing. I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for preaching the Bible, okay? It's the Bible, and it's good and it's good all the time, and look, we're not going to take up an offering. I'm not trying to manipulate you today or uh, bend your arm to try to get some more out of you. We're not going to take up an offering at the end of the service, so you're just going to have to sit with some of this, but I think it's important for us to examine our heart and attitude, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 15, we've already gotten a little context with that little intro, so let's read it, and then we will pray. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely and has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, I thank you for your inexpressible gift that you have given so much generously to us. And now we get to examine our heart and attitude towards generosity to others. And so I just pray that you'd speak and teach and give us understanding, open our eyes. I pray that we'd see the beauty of the generous God that we serve. And uh, just, just help us to see what you want us to see today. I pray that you'd guide my speech that I would only say what you want me to say, God. Holy Spirit, move among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first uh, idea or kind of the main idea thrust of the text is this, that God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Let's go back to verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This kind of introduces what some call the law of the harvest, that there's sowing and reaping. And you can expect a harvest as a result of you sowing things into others, into the world, into the kingdom of God. And he uses this agricultural analogy. Now, I don't know, some of you are gardeners, and we live out here in the, in the sticks, so maybe you have a nice garden, and you totally understand this, but many of us. We don't have gardens at home, and this is not a part of our daily life. We go to the grocery store when we want to get our food. And But he is talking to an agricultural society, and he's saying, look, you know, farmers, they sow and they harvest. That's kind of how it works. And if you sow a little bit, you can only expect a little bit. You can't sow a little bit and expect a bunch. But if you sow a lot, you can just expect to get a lot in return, and so it's this idea of sowing and reaping, uh, the generous generosity and a harvest as a result of your generosity. But how should we sow? Now he gives us six ways that you can sow or give, six ways that someone can give, and he contrasts these six things. So there's three sets here, and the first one is sparingly versus bountifully. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He sows bountifully, will reap bountifully. And so you can sow sparingly, which is stingy and holding it back, and I'm not going to give it. Not, and you can hold it in, but you can only expect to then reap very little in life. Or, he says, you can sow bountifully. 
generously, open-handed, love to give. The second set is reluctantly versus cheerfully. Reluctantly literally means from grief. You're grieved whenever you have to give. Even you, under your breath today, said, good grief. He's talking about money again. Yeah, that, that's reluctantly. That's an internal attitude towards giving. Or the opposite would be cheerfully. You delight in it. You enjoy it. You love it. The Greek word here is where we get our word hilarious. This is a hilarious giver. I love to give. Give me another opportunity. Can we take up another offering, preacher? Please. Can you preach another giving sermon? I'd love you to. Cheerfully. This, I, when, I, when I think of cheerful giving, I think of my children. Okay, And maybe you have experienced this, where kids love to give. They love it, or most kids do. I guess some people, are, some kids are greedy, but most kids love to give. At least my kids do. So the other day, my wife, she brings me this kind of gift from the store, you know, just a little happy type of thing. And uh, my daughter is a little perplexed. Why did you bring, like, what is it, Father's Day? And she just couldn't quite understand why I got just a, Cammie brought me a, a happy for no reason. And, uh, and then, uh, but then that, she's just like, well, I've got to get something for Daddy. So then I walked out of the room, was doing some other stuff, and I came back. She immediately went to town and said, I'm going to make him a card. And so she made a card, and she wrote some things in it, and she colored it, and she drew and then she taped some candies inside of it because you got to have something to give and so she just <laughs> and she can't, and I, next time she saw me here daddy and she gave me this card with so much cheer and joy and I thought that's what God wants that's what that is our attitude that's the attitude he wants us to have when it comes to giving but we love it we look for opportunities to do it we do it we delight in it the third set is under compulsion versus decided in heart. Under compulsion, you feel com uh, compulsion to give. It's not something you've decided or doing willingly or purposefully. You're kind of bent to do it. And maybe you're feeling compulsion because you want to avoid some punishment or shame or embarrassment for not giving. Or maybe you feel compulsion from a positive but not right emotion of wanting to get praise from others. So your compulsion is to give so that others will think that you're all that in a bag of chips or that you're a generous person, that you're great. This is the idea that happened to kind of the first offering that we really see in the New Testament is whenever all the people begin to sell their possessions and people are selling different plots of land and they're giving all these proceeds to the church to kind of fund this new thing that God is doing and to help the poor and all of that. And so this one guy, Joseph of Arimathea, he sells a plot of land and just out of generosity and joy gives it cheerfully all of it to the church. Well, this other couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they see that and they're like, man, everybody thinks he's really cool because he gets, let's do that. And so they go and sell a plot of land. But the difference is they don't give it all, which is fine. No one required them to give it all. The problem was they don't give all of the proceeds to the church, but they say they did. And their motive was getting praise from people. I want others to praise me like they viewed Joseph for his generosity, except for they did it for the wrong motives. 
and God killed him for it. Okay, go read the Bible. It's crazy. People in the New Testament. <clears throat> God killed him for it. Deci- the opposite would be decided in his heart. So this is, um, uh, you want to do it in your heart. It's a desire of yours, and you've decided it's purposeful. So um, this is more than just you're bumping through life, and maybe you give a few bucks in generosity towards people. That's good and great. This is, I have decided I'm going to be a generous person. I have decided I'm going to be generous towards the kingdom of God. I have decided I'm going to be generous towards the church. I have decided in my heart I want to do this, but it's purposeful. It's not all willy-nilly. Um, What we see here in the how we should give is that right motive and right attitude are hugely important. God doesn't just want the act of your giving. He wants the attitude of the giver. He wants your heart. He wants you to want it, to desire it. So here's the thing. As we talk today, and again, we're not taking an offering, but when it comes to generosity, If you don't want to give, then don't give. If you don't want to give, then don't give. He doesn't want you to give out of compulsion or reluctantly or out of manipulation. So he's like, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And and so some of you are like, whew, good, I don't want to. I don't have to. doesn't apply to me. I would ask if that's your heart, if you don't want to give to honestly take some time to reflect and examine your heart to say, why don't I want to? What is, what is beneath, what is underneath all of this desire that I don't want to give? Why don't I desire this? And um, is, is, this, is, is there some greed in me? Is there some fear in me? Is there some selfishness? And what is it in me? that I don't want to. And so if you don't want to, don't give. But I would ask you to please examine to see why that is because that is a bigger issue. It's a bigger than whether you give some in the offering or not. The heart is a bigger issue. And so all commands to act or do things in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, are at its root a call to find joy in the doing. So he wants us to find joy in giving. So whenever the Bible, the New Testament, gives us things to do, God commands us to do this and that, it's not just so that we will go and and mindlessly obey or begrudgingly do the thing. It's all an invitation, a call to find joy in the doing. Cheerful giver. God loves. Secondly, today, that generous giving produces a generous harvest. Generous giving produces a generous harvest. He says the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. If you give generously, it will produce a generous harvest. But as we talk about the harvest, we have to understand that generous living and generous giving is more than about money. So if we're going to talk about the seed, sowing the seed, sowers, and the giving generously, what is the seed? Well, I think the obvious thing is, is, is finances, is resources. Um, that's the context of 
the chapters here. He's taken up an offering for, to send relief to the, to the Jerusalem church. And so that's the immediate context. That makes the most sense. He's definitely talking about that. But he's talking about way more than that, too. And so um, look down. Let's read down to verse 8. So each one, verse 7 must give as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So part of the seed, the generosity, is generosity with good works. Giving is more than money. And whenever I even introduce the talk and I talk about, we're going to talk about giving today, our, immediately, our immediate thought is we're going to talk about money. That's where our mind goes. We're going to talk about giving, that's money. Um, but there's so much more to generosity than money. He says you may abound in every good work. And so there's generous with your time, generous with your attention, generous with your energies, with your service. And I think good works would also include good words. Good words, being generous with your good words. This week someone wrote me uh, an email. They were generous with their words towards me. It was one of the most encouraging emails that I have ever received. Their willingness to give thoughtful, genuine, kind words um, blessed me in, in so much more of a meaningful way than money ever could. And so they took some time and said, I'm going to be generous with my words and encourage somebody. Now, don't get me wrong, money is also a huge blessing too, okay? <laughs> I don't want to brush past that. So what, but here's the thing, we need both of them. Generosity, you can't be like, I'm generous with my time, but not with my money. That, that raises an issue. I'm generous my, with my money, I'll just give, but I'm never going to serve. Or, like, it's a, it's a both and. It's, it's all of it. He wants our lives to be lives of generosity towards others. So that's the seed. What is the harvest? So if you're giving, that's the seed, produces a generous harvest. What is the harvest? Well, look at verse, uh, let's go down to verse 10. Let's not skip a verse 9. And as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He's talking about, uh, he's referencing Psalm 112. And in the context, I know in this passage, it can be a little confusing. Who's the he here? Because it seems like he's talking about God is the he. But in the psalm, it's very clear that he's talking about a person here. So he, in verse 9, has distributed freely to the the poor, he's talking about the generous person, and his righteousness endures forever. What you give um, in your generosity uh, has eternal consequences, is what he kind of is saying there. Verse 10 then, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So first we see that whenever we sow seed, he then supplies more seed. And you're like, that's right. That's what I'm talking about. If I give money, I want him to give me more money. That's, that's my kind of deal. And he kind of says that if you give, if you give 
If you sow, he will then supply more seed. But, but look at this. He says, seed for sowing. Seed for sowing. So God gives so that we will give cheerfully. So if we have an increase, it's because God wants us to give more. He gives us more money. He gives us more grace and desire to give, more energy and more ability to do good works that he will increase your situation to cause you to be able to sow more. But you might ask, what if I am poor? What if I don't have any money? Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that by having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. What What he's saying here is that God will never call you to be a giver of something that he will not supply. That if you feel like you don't have anything to give, you just be generous with what you have, and God will supply what he wants you to give. Um, This brings to mind the story of the widow's mite. Jesus is in the temple. He's observing people give an offering. He sees all these these rich people dumping money into the offering buckets, and then you have this widow who walks up. Maybe you know the story. You have this widow who walks up, and all she has is her two little mites, like two pennies, and she gives it all. And, and Jesus looks at that, is so moved by her generosity. It's just two pennies. He's so moved by her generosity. He says, this woman has given more than all of them. Because they gave out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty. She gave out of what she had. It shows that our trust is in God, not in our bank account. It shows that our trust is in his trustworthiness. Psalm 147, 11 says, but the Lord takes pleasure. You know, he loves, loves a cheerful giver. And so here he's taking pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And whenever we're generous with what God has given us, whether much or literal, it is expressing that we hope in his steadfast love, that we're trusting in him, that we're trusting in his trustworthiness, that I'm going to trust that he's going to provide for me if I'm obedient in my generosity. Look back at verse 11. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So he's like, you will be enriched to be generous. God gave us seed for sowing, not for consuming. It's for sowing. God has blessed you to be a blessing. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Isn't that amazing? He says, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Um, Yet one withholds and only suffers want. And so it's this, if you just think about the farming analogy, it would be silly for a farmer goes out to sow some, 
some seed, and he's like, I'm just gonna give, I'm just gonna sow a little bit, but I'm, I'm gonna hold on to this rest of the bag of seed. That's, that's silly. The, the the wise farmer knows I'm gonna sow as much as I have, as much seed I have. I'm throwing it out because you know what I know. If I put it out there, there's gonna be a harvest that's gonna be ten times, a hundred times greater than the seed that I sowed. How silly would it be for me to hold on to the seed when I'm gonna sow it so generously in anticipation that there's going to be a quite a harvest in return. That's why he says, hey, the person who who lives open-handed, you know what they find? They find that that they are taken care of, that they are refreshed, that God provides somehow through it all. So there's there's the harvest of, of resources, but the resources are then given so that we will give. You ever thought you got that raise because God wanted you to be more generous? You ever thought you got that bonus because God wanted you to give more? You ever thought that ever? The second harvest is a harvest of your righteousness. Look at verse 10 again. He says, who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And so what we have to understand is that then the harvest from our sowing can look different than just what we, what we put in. He says the harvest is your righteousness. And you're like, I don't want that. See, prosperity preachers hate this verse. I don't, I don't, I don't want righteousness. If I sow money, I want money back. If I give sacrificially, I want you to send me checks in the mail. Give me more money. And he's like, there's something way bigger than money at stake here. And what I'm doing is in your generosity, I'm producing righteousness in you. That our generosity makes us more like God. It makes us look more like him. He matures us through it all. I heard one pastor say this, following Jesus is a life of taking up your cross and dying to yourself. Living generously does not guarantee that you will be a millionaire. Living generously, listen to this, may mean that the rest of your life, you just live with little. The promise, however, is that that life will be the most meaningful life you could ever live. Living generously produces righteousness. God is sanctifying and purifying you. And being generous does something to you. There's a harvest then of thanksgiving to God. Look at uh, verse 11 and 12. You'll be rich every way to be a generous in every way that through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So there's a harvest of thanksgiving. The thanksgiving, the glory of God is increased through our generosity. And so what we see here is that giving is worship. 
that giving is worship. Look at verse 12 again. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing many thanksgiving. The ministry of this service, that word service is, is the word a liturgia, where we get our word liturgy. It means a sacred ministry to the Lord. It's a worship service, is what he's saying. That uh, giving is an act of worship, and whenever we are generous, we become more thankful to God. There's something about giving that produces gratitude in your heart to God. And, and he's like, but not only just our harvest of worship and thankfulness to God, but others. Look at verse 12 again. He says, uh, this will not only supply their needs, but also overflow in many thanksgivings to God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all. So he's like, they will glorify God. Many thanks will be offered to God. That there's something about your generosity that moves others to thankfulness to God and generosity towards God. That's why anytime we tell stories of um, amazing, sacrificial generosity, it moves us. It stirs in us. Like, I want to be more like that. I want to be more generous. What we also see here is that he says that this service, this ministry of service, is not only to meet the needs of the saints. He's like, that's why I'm taking up the offering, to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. But he's like, it's not, it's not just doing that. It's also a gift to the Lord. So he's like, if, we, if you wonder, how do I give to God? He's like invisible. He's like, the way you give to God is you give to God's ministry. The way you give to God is you give to God's church. The way you give to God is whenever you are prompted by God to give to the poor. That's how we give to God. And so that's why we talk about giving to the Lord whenever you give to the church. Because whenever you give to the ministry of the Lord, you're giving to the Lord. Can you see here why God loves a cheerful giver? It, because it expresses our hope and our trust in his trustworthiness. Because it increases our righteousness. It glorifies him through our thankfulness. This is why God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. So let's look back at what sparked this whole thing in chapter 8 when he introduces this offering and um, we have an example of what he just taught right here. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. He says, "What We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. I just want to also point out, it's all the grace of God. He's about to describe the generosity of the Macedonian churches. And he's saying, I want you to know, this is the grace of God. Their ability to give, that's the grace of God. Their desire to give, man, that's the grace of God. Verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, they're abundant of joy. So they're cheerful in this giving. And their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So he's like, if anyone needed 
to be the recipient, it would be these people. And so he's like a severe test of affliction. They are suffering in some form, but they have joy in it. They're extremely impoverished, but they have overflowed in their generosity. Look at verse uh, 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So he's like, these people, they're like, okay, we'll budget. We got enough in the budget to give to, the, to this effort. He's like, but some of them, they re- reached deeper into the pocket and gave until it hurt. He said some of them gave by their means, but then others gave beyond their means. One person said, uh, hey, if your sacrifice is not a sacrifice, then it's not a sacrifice. Makes sense, right? That there is something to giving sacrificially to the Lord. But he says at the end of verse 3, of their own accord. He's like, they did this out of their own sheer uh, deciding in their heart. I didn't twist their arm. I didn't manipulate them. I didn't compulse them to do this. They did it by themselves. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is amazing. So he's like, they were begging us because we're like, hey, Macedonian church, like we got you guys, you're, you guys are having a hard time. Hey, next, after we send relief to the Jerusalem church, we're going to send relief to you. And they're like, please let us give. Begging us for the favor, for the grace of being a part of this offering. Please let us give. Don't, don't let us miss out on this opportunity. We want to give earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, (laughs) but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And I don't know about you, I read that and I was like, what? That completely shatters my understanding of generosity. I wish this is how I viewed giving. I wish this is how we viewed giving. In our joy, in joy, we give sacrificially. These cheerful givers. Look at verse um, 8 as we look at the last point. Generous giving is our response to a generous uh, God. Generous giving is our response to a generous God. Look at verse 8. We're going to see how God um, has given generously to us. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So we have his abundant grace. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely and has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed, so he, God, is supplying the seed. So there he is giving seed for the sower and bread and food. So he's given us food and bread. He will supply and multiply. So now we have an abundant multiplication of the seed for sowing and increased harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched. So there's an abundant enrichment there in every way to be generous in every way. 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Um, we give generously because God gives generously. Ever, he, he's given so bountifully to us. In uh, creation, just think about creation, how much God has given to us and not just stingily given to us, given to us bountifully. I read an article that said uh, that about the air and the environment, that one tree produces enough oxygen in one season to sustain you for 10 years. It goes on to say, if all the trees were removed from this planet in this instant, there would be enough oxygen in the atmosphere to sustain human life for the next 6,000 years. That's a little different than what you're hearing on the news, isn't it? Isn't it incredible that God didn't just give us stingily the air we need to live? That he's not like, you all are going to have to go to a straw and just get one suck every day, you know, and just, you're just going to ration it out, you know. No, abundantly he has given us what we need. Another article talks about uh, our, the water supply and says nearly 2 million trillion gallons, million trillion gallons of available fresh water on the earth. So this is drinkable water. Approximately 2.2 million gallons per person on the earth. You will drink about 14,000 gallons in your lifetime, which is 0.63% of your available water. There's an abundance of water on the earth to sustain human life. There's an abundance of food on the earth to sustain human life. I say, how is that possible? There's people all over the world who are dying of starvation. The problem is not um, a lack of supply. It's a lack of logistics and greed. You know, the, the people are greedy. They don't want to help meet the needs around the world. And logistically, you know, it's that people who are in places of hunger um, aren't in a place that has the abundance that we have here. And it's like, how do we get food to all the hungry people in the world? It's not a lack of supply. We waste so much food. We have so much abundance that we're like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. I bought that. I didn't, it just it went bad. Throw it away. We have so much. We can just throw so much away. But he's given us abundantly, generously, more than we could ask or imagine. Just think about the concept that we're all here today. That God has given everything we need to sustain human life on the earth for thousands of years. Maybe you're like, isn't it millions? Okay, that's even more mind-blowing if you believe it's millions of years. Okay, so he sustained a million human life on the earth for millions of years. He gave us everything we need. And we're still here today. And there's going to be a lot of soup. An abundance of soup to enjoy here in the year 2023. He has given us an abundance of land and resources and beauty and wonder. Have you ever noticed that like we never run out of new things to enjoy the beauty of? You could travel your entire life and you're still going to find scenes in creation that just blow you away. He's not like, I'm going to put something beautiful in this one spot in the world, and y'all are all going to have to visit that. Like, there's beauty everywhere. 
an abundance of it. I just want you to see that God has been richly generous towards us. That everything we have is from God. Romans 11, 33 through 36 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or who has, listen to this, who has given him a gift? that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's saying, look, all that you have is from God. But it's also for God. It's for you to use and enjoy and give to the glory of God. But don't be mistaken. The breath you're breathing right now is borrowed from the Lord. You're not making your body work. He is. Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by you will they exist and were created. Everything we have is from him. He has been bountifully generous to us in creation. But also, he talks about this other gift that God's given us in verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This word inexpressible is a hard word to translate. Does anybody have a different translation of that word in the room? Indescribable indescribable, inexpressible. Here's the thing. It's the only time this word's used in the New Testament because Paul made this word up. Whenever he's thinking, how do I, how do I finish this? How can, I talk, how can I wrap up this talk about uh, God's generosity towards us and how he's been so generous to us? Let me tell you, let me think. He made up a word because it's indescribable. It's inexpressible. His generosity. And so what is the inexpressible gift, though? Have you thought, well, what's the inexpressible gift? I think it's Jesus. It's Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved, so he gave, and Christ gave himself. He condescended to earth, humbled himself, becoming a man, giving of himself sacrificially and generously and cheerfully. And giving of his life so that we could have eternal life. You know, the the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty for our sin against God, death. But he says the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord because Jesus took our death. He died on the cross for our sin. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. And that's what he did for us. He gave of his life for us. We see this right in this section here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was in heaven. He had everything yet. He was on the throne. He was being served night and day. He's rich. He has everything. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He gave of his life so that you could have spiritual richness. He sowed bountifully into us. And uh, believe me, he will reap a bountiful harvest of souls. He will reap a bountiful harvest of souls. Look at this. In Revelation, that describes the end of days. Revelation describes the end of days. And he says this in Revelation chapter 5. Verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, talking about them in heaven. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, speaking of Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He's like, he's sown bountifully into us, and he's going to reap bountifully from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. There's going to be a ton of people in heaven. A ton of people. Because he's worthy of this. Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10. Are you ready? John, speaking of this vision that he saw, after this I looked, and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's going to be a bountiful harvest of souls. A bountiful harvest of worshipers who love the Lord and get to sing his praises night and day. Because he's been so generous to us, he will also reap so generously in the end. And can we, who have been so generously treated by our God, be anything but generous to others? Father, I thank you for your generosity towards us. That you are worthy you're worthy of all glory, of all honor, of all thanks, of all praise. You're worthy of it all. God, I thank you. You've been so generous to us in creation, giving us far more than we could ever need or use. And you've been so generous to us in Christ, giving us of yourself so that we could have eternal life with you. And I pray, Lord, that as we see your abundant generosity that how can we do anything else but see, be so freely and cheerfully and joyfully generous to others. So God, help us become like you in our generosity of our lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name.